2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Las Vegas casinos were among the hardest-hit businesses during the pandemic, but the industry was able to quickly pivot to online gaming to stay afloat. Now, even with casinos back in operation, online gaming is a major part of the industry's evolution and growth. Today you'll hear from three of the top CEOs in the international casino and gambling industry. Craig Billings of Wynn Resorts... Robert Goldstein of Sands, and Bill Hornbuckle of MGM Resorts International. They join my colleague Contessa Brewer at CNBC's Evolve Global Summit on July 13, 2022, for a wide-ranging roundtable discussion about the future of online gambling, leading their legacy companies through a pandemic, and the evolution of the gaming industry. Here's their conversation.
0: So I wanna thank you for joining me today. Part of the reason I wanted to invite you, Craig Billings, Bill Hornbuckle, Rob Goldstein, to this conversation is because you're all leading companies that are iconic global casino brands whose imprint of the founders are clearly visible, not just in your properties or just in Las Vegas, but around the world. I guess I'll just begin with Can you set the scene for me about where we are? We know that um, people are here and they're enjoying what Las Vegas has to offer and the demand is persistent in spite of rising inflationary pressures. Bill, what are you seeing? What do you see for the next half of the year and where is the industry going?
3: I do believe there's been a change. I do believe that how people look at experiences, how they think about travel, how they think about whether it was initially COVID money or not, uh, how they think about what they want to do with their free time is, is accretive to Las Vegas and to us in a large way. And we're seeing it. Um, is there a recession around the corner? Time to tell. Uh, you wouldn't know it by looking at this place last night or what we've experienced over the last couple of quarters. Uh, and I think about the environment we're in today and employment and getting people to come to work. It's an interesting environment that we're all in, um, but I'm extremely optimistic about the space, about the experienced economy and what we, and where we belong in it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm very positive, generally speaking.
0: What are, you, what are you seeing right now, Craig?
1: We spent much of uh, much of the COVID period really just continuing to invest invest in our people invest in our business and that's born fruit and i think we see that uh, every day both in our customer satisfaction surveys and in our numbers so it's uh, it's been great over the course of the past few months on the founder point uh, that you raised you know we obviously it, our founder changed very rapidly our founder left very rapidly and for us it was really there were kind of three buckets of things that we had to think about the first was what needed to change very quickly certain points on governance, the board, et cetera. The second is that which would never change, really that founder's mindset, that sense of ownership all the way down to the line level, uh, accountability in our design and development capabilities, and then that which we could evolve. And that's really a multi-year journey. And so much of what we've seen over the course of the past six months is the fruit of that evolution. So you see it in our food and beverage program, you see it in the way we use social media, you see it in our entertainment program. Uh and so we we've started to see, you know, that bear fruit and really it's it's early days in that evolution.
0: What do you think?
4: Well I'm not in Las Vegas and we sold our properties as you well know and these guys know. Um thrilled to see the rebound of Las Vegas. I've been a citizen here for almost 30 years and very proud of the city, a huge fan of it. Um, we are experiencing a different situation because of we're Asia bound. Um, Macau. We both have properties there. All of us have properties there, and it's struggling, as you know. For me, having been with Sheldon Adelson for you know, decades, uh, it's a very difficult time for us emotionally. We're selling Las Vegas. It was very hard for me. Uh, we sold it for different reasons than people understand. And uh, I think you know, Sheldon did something that I'll never forget during the COVID time when everybody else was laying people off. And I was made a proposal to the board to follow suit and he tapped me on the shoulder like this. He said, Rob, not doing that. I said, not doing what? He said, I'm not laying people off. I thought he was confused. So I took him aside and explained it to him. He said, I'm not confused. He said, I'm not laying people off. He had a very strong belief in culture and people, and that today resonates with us as we succeed him and try to carry on the legacy, both in Macau and Singapore, and maybe again in the U.S. at some point.
0: But it's really expensive. I mean, if you're in an industry yes. that...
4: Yes, <laughs> very expensive. When I told him how much it was, he, he again he, he was very sweet. He said, Rob, I can afford it, we can afford it. And he said, I'm not gonna fire people. I, they've made me very wealthy. It's my time to give back to them. And Sheldon, I had the privilege of watching him on two fronts, uh, very much a believer in culture, and longevity and sustainability with the staff, with the people who work with us. And secondly, a big believer in strategic thinking. Sheldon never did anything, whether it be Macau, Singapore, Pennsylvania, Las Vegas, any jurisdiction we tried to go to. His first thought was, what do I bring to the table, strategically, am I different? And he did it here in Las Vegas, I and mean, he authored this whole MICE strategy, which people thought was hilarious. Wh-
0: which is basically convention <clears throat> business.
4: Yeah, right? I'm sorry, Making yes, this- convention-based group business was Sheldon's calling card. He grew up in it through Comdex. But my point is, all these people we're referencing had a strong strategic perspective, a people culture, a thought process. And Say what you want about those. Different people have different perspectives. And I think so did the fellows that we all you know, came to work for. They saw things a different way. They had huge vision and a huge appetite for risk. Steve was a, a true founder at heart in every
1: way. And um, you know the way that he ran the business was as a founder. Very high accountability, very small corporate staff. And you have to make sure that that continues. And you have to actually take that legacy, be a steward to that legacy, and evolve it. And I think, Rob, you said that too. You can't be afraid to evolve it and make sure that you can meet uh, changing consumer needs and changing consumer trends and, and stay relevant. But you have to maintain the core and soul of who the business is and who the team is.
0: Did that make a difference for Win, when we saw this massive hiring squeeze, when everybody around the nation were desperate for workers? Did that soul of Win make a difference in how you were able to retain talent attract no, talent. no
1: doubt no doubt it did i mean we similar to what rob was talking about we we too didn't uh, didn't lay anybody off during during the shutdown because you can't reassemble our team in a short period of time it takes years and years and years to do and so when we reopened we actually had a team that was energized that uh felt great about where they worked and our turnover has has reflected that
0: you know it strikes me too that you're seeing all this boom here <laughs> I I just can't get over that you can look at uh, Encore Boston Harbor and see that it is out earning any single property you have in Macau. The thought of that before the pandemic would have just been impossible to imagine,
3: that there's been sort of
0: this reversal of fortune.
3: You know, it's been interesting in our business, I'm sure, you know, technology and COVID drove us to a couple different places. Even if you go look at this gaming floor and everyone's doing this. The way we position games just for distance and safety, but we create these unique pods that sit out here now. Well, guess what? People enjoy them. And it's worked. And it's brought, particularly the type of games that are now demonstrated out here, it's brought millennials to the table in a way that they have not been before in our industry. And so as at least we have seen historically, not only here, but universally across all of our uh, properties domestically, uh, we have more millennial business than we've ever had by like 20 percent. It is a compelling and interesting thing.
0: Do you think that the younger people who may not have been really exposed to casinos and gambling before the pandemic, are they drawn by... The, the digital technology to, I mean, now there are games where you can sit and only interact with the machine the way that most of us are now used to interacting with our phones, right? So you can sit in a casino where you're near other people but not actually be interacting with a human being.
1: I think when you smash together the proliferation of sports betting and gaming and the demographic that is engaging with, uh, with sports betting in particular, which is a younger, a younger demographic, you think about the fact that all the the effort time and money that we have spent in, as an industry here in las vegas investing in non-gaming amenities and things that bring people here despite uh... despite the casino that those all those are going to come together and naturally have a spillover effect that are going to cause consumers to to some some consumers to uh... to find an affinity for what's on the casino floor i think it's just a natural happenstance of all of those things
0: i'm really interested if the draw is the experience if that's the thing that people are hungry for. How does digital play into that yen for experiences?
3: Look, for a brand like ours, it gives us a chance to connect 360 days a year. It gives us a chance to have a constant dialogue with a customer. It gives them exposure and ultimately a reward mechanism like any loyalty program to be participating in. Yeah, I can do this, I can bet the Mets at home because I'm from New York, and I enjoy the Mets, and it ultimately translates into something more for them. Um, It's pretty straightforward in that context and it's and it works. It's big enough scale now. This thing has grown to a point where there is absolute connectivity, the notion of a simple omni-channel relationship with the customer. And what we have all seen is to the extent a customer participates in all three activities, their activity with us is far superior than what it was historically.
1: Look, look, sports betting isn't new. I mean people have (laughs) been betting on sports (laughs) online for years and years and years. So now you have the opportunity to bet with a brand that you trust, and a brand that oftentimes has other physical assets that you can interact with and be entertained by. And so it is a pretty compelling uh, proposition over, over the longer term. You know, the past couple years have been uh, interesting for a whole bunch of reasons in sports betting. I think there was a race to get to market and uh, and to acquire customers at any cost. I think the industry is becoming increasingly more disciplined in terms of how they approach that, which is great uh, you know, for, for us to see. But that omnichannel relationship is important and it, I really believe it's a winner in the long run.
5: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until the Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva (laughs) I'll just record my presentation So Singapore can watch it anytime Record and present anytime with Canva presentations At Canva.com Designed
1: for work
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx Dear small and medium businesses No one wants happy customers more than you do
0: Sheldon Adelson was such a an opponent of internet gambling and invested in it and really was vocal about it and made sure that all, with all of his political connections, he he made it clear where he stood on it. Have you decided to take a very different approach? Have you turned the company in a direction that is very different from what he saw
4: and thought? Sheldon, the the underpinning of his thinking may be different than most people realize. He was a big believer that young people were at risk. He had young boys. He felt people go on their phone and bet a ball game. He felt the wrong people could access it. Bill mentioned 24 hours a day, you can bang away on your phone and and lose money. And it bothered Sheldon from a pure moral perspective. I know people don't wanna believe that. They think he was protecting his land base. The fact is our business has been 90% Asia forever. And so it doesn't affect us because Asia does not have digital gambling, and so it's it's a non-event for us uh, from that perspective. Um, So that was Sheldon's mindset. Would we go into it? Sure, we would. We would definitely. And I think Sheldon later in life came to realize it it could be managed, perhaps, and if it's profitable, we pursue the the right path. We would pursue it. Uh, I'm watching it. It's fascinating to watch what Bill's going through and Craig's been through it and. Uh, the people at Caesars, and uh, it's fun to watch and see where it goes. I believe it will be very profitable in the the long term, but there's some some impediments to getting there.
0: I overheard you asking, Bill, about the sort of the backlash in Europe to sports gambling and the way that there are now very serious limits on how people gamble. Are you guys worried that in your digital venture there could be a backlash here?
3: Well, let me back up. um, Backlash, in many of those markets, they were gray markets, save the UK. So they weren't regulated at all. They were kind of regulating, they used to call them. So when they're getting, Germany is a great example, as it's getting regulated, some of the constraints and some of the restrictions are clearly more than they were without any regulations. Mm -hmm. Uh, UK is taking a, a look at time on device, betting limits, all of the things that obviously would drive addictive behavior. There are, particularly because it's an automated world, there's a lot of things that can be put into play that protect people, that keep things in check, that help responsible gaming in a universal way. And so, it it is uh, being adopted there. It's going to be transitional to here. We're already starting to, to put many of those things in play. We've learned from our partner Entain, uh into our BetMGM products. And so, yeah, it's something you, have to, you always have to be mindful of it. We 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 do not want to take anyone's last dime. Full stop. It is not in our business interest to do that. And so we're all mindful of it. On the other side of the coin, we just bought a company, uh, we hope to close next month, called Leo Vegas. You know, it's a company that's based in Sweden. Uh, they have a great footprint, we think great technology. We are very focused on a digital growth pattern, not only here domestically, obviously with BetMGM, in Canada, and ultimately rest of the world. Um, we see it as a not an unlimited, because there's nothing unlimited, but for, from, a, from a platform where we stand and the scale we have, there's only so many places to go and do what we do and keep our brands true in terms of brick and mortar. And so for us, it's a big piece of the next horizon.
0: I want to talk a little bit about international too, because you you're all have international properties and aspirations. I'm especially interested in when going in and co-developing an integrated resort in the Middle East. Again, you know, it it, groundbreaking in so many ways. Can you talk about growth internationally and especially where we now see the geopolitical landscape changing, where we're seeing a lot of uncertainty about what, you know, superpowers, former superpowers, rising superpowers can and will do.
1: So, I think over the course of the past 20 years, you've seen both consumers and governments embrace IRs. I mean, tax revenue, tourism, sure. great experiences. There's there's all kinds of reasons to support integrated resorts. Uh, and I think you're going to continue to see that. I think it'll be interesting to see how the industry, if we do see a proliferation, how the industry keeps pace. I mean, all of us together only have so much development capacity over the course of uh, over the course of any given year, and it's not like there's a hundred companies like ours, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, Thank God. But you know, specifically <laughs> with respect to to the UAE, the UAE is obviously a, a very uh, progressive, transformative place, and they're doing a lot of things, a lot of things socially, uh, a lot of things, uh, a lot of things from a legal and, and regulation perspective. And so we're really excited about that opportunity. Um, You know, it puts our brand within 95% uh, of consumers if they want to take uh, an eight hour flight or less. And so it's a meaningful extension of our brand. It's a meaningful opportunity for our team to put their imprint on the company. It's it's the first property we will do uh, subsequent to Steve. And so it's a very, very important event for us and I I feel great about it.
0: Talk to me a little bit about Asia and your feeling now that you sold Las Vegas ahead of this massive rebound. Mm -hmm. Um, that I, I know because you've told me on multiple occasions that you truly believe in the future of Macau and Singapore, but the, the COVID restrictions are still at, at present and um, an obstacle.
4: But most of Asia's opening. I mean, Japan's opening, Indonesia, Malaysia... Korea, Vietnam. The market's that open is opening. The biggest challenge there is employees and airlift getting in now. These countries is still a challenge, even into Singapore. But Singapore is, uh, you know, is leading the way in terms of it's a great government, great place to operate. We're thrilled to be there. At its peak, it was a 1.7 billion dollar property. My guess is that we'll do better than that in the future. Uh, Macau, I feel even I find it funny that people question Macau's return. Of course, it's been a hard couple of years, no question. We employ 30. Three thirty-four thousand people. We've not laid anyone off. We've been paying them for thirty months, and it's a tough time. You got to basically hunker down and and wait for it to turn, but. The idea it doesn't turn is kind of hard for me to imagine. It's going to turn probably you know, either this year or next. And when it does, Macau will go back to making, you know, we made the peak $3.5 billion, but uh, I think we'll make a lot more than that in the future there. I agree with Rob. Yeah. The, the only thing that keeps me up
1: at night about Macau is the the state of my team. I mean, they, you know, yeah. they've yeah. been yeah. essentially rich. trapped there for years. And it's very, very difficult, and I appreciate everything they do for us. Uh, it's a difficult time to be there, but uh, if you think about the latent demand across the border and you think about the importance of Macau, frankly, within uh, the greater Bay Area, uh, we're huge, huge bulls on Macau, just like Rob. And, and
3: I, again, for the audience, I mean, Macau was seven, eight times Las Vegas in scale. Yeah. I mean, okay, so it comes back half to begin with, and then some, and then it's just, it's the largest gaming market in the world, bar none, and it will forever be.
0: Are there lessons that you learn from? reacting to the pandemic that now you apply toward climate change or geopolitical risk or the threat i mean especially with digital businesses the threat of cyber attack
1: we have always really as a company tried to stay as nimble as possible and it paid dividends during that period so we were incredibly transparent with our people and we uh we really empowered our folks to help us adapt plan and frankly just get scrappy there were many times when we just had to get scrappy and, and deal with things in the moment. And so I think that reflex within the team, whether we start talking about recession or geopolitical events that are changing, uh, you know, changing the demand profile, if that happens at some point, I think that that nimbleness, particularly as we flexed it during, uh, during COVID, will pay dividends. And so I, I really believe we are more wired as a company, particularly here in Las Vegas and in Boston,
3: than we ever have been. And we obviously had to take a different approach. Uh, I had the unfortunate task of laying off 62,000 employees over COVID. Um, it's painful, uh, but you know it was costing us 300 million a month, and so we just didn't have the liquidity and, and the and the ability to sustain. Now the good news is, by and large, we had about half of them back in nine or ten weeks. But it it did present an opportunity because uh, we weren't as nimble at this scale. It's hard to be this nimble at this scale. Uh, th- we did take the organizational opportunity to kind of rethink about the structure, think about the organization, what we were focused on, what we should be focused on. I think one thing that Las Vegas and all of these properties at scale are really good at is corralling around an event, you know, championing it, getting something accomplished in terms of, you know, like we, we spent $21 million on uh, plexiglass. It was amazing how quickly we all got into that business of making the right (laughs) environment, and 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 on and and testing and all of the things that go into something with those kind of logistics. These companies are just wired to do its We do the convention business. Think about convention business every day. It's that same kind of psyche about task and orientation and go. Difficult things at scale. Yeah, and so we were good at that generally. So it enabled us to get quickly into this. So we went up and down in a matter of three months. We had. Closed everything and reopened it all again. We were in massive COVID protocols in the context of what we were doing, how we were letting customers interact with us, uh, digitization—you know, something we had planned for 10 years to get silly check-in on a mobile device—did hmm. it in three months because we had to do it. Yeah. You know, and to this day, 25% of our people are using it now. It's a big deal, it's a big change. Necessity. Uh, yeah, necessi- uh, reservations. 30% of our people are now making reservations online, because guess what, they checked in digitally. And so and so, there's been a lot of benefits, and for us, particularly as an organization, we learned a lot, we did a lot. It was a little bit more in command and control that as a culture I want to set going forward, but we had to just get it done. And so um, there's a lot of takings from that that have been meaningful, uh, but painful.
0: The other interesting thing is that we seem to be at this inflection point in the nation, the political divide, the issues over guns and abortion and racial equality. And I'm just wondering where you stand on taking a stand. Your predecessor, Bill, felt very comfortable standing up and talking about his political position. Do you think that there's a place for that as the head of a publicly traded company or what, what's the risk?
3: I take any issue. Take abortion. 30% of the people are adamantly, you know, thinking what just happened is appropriate. Um, I don't want to lose 30% of our customers. I think we have an obligation to our stakeholders to be very responsible, be moderate, be be, be measured. Having said that, we employ 62,000 employees across the system who have values, who care. That issue alone has impacted several of our employees in Mississippi and Ohio and other states that we operate. So we have to pay attention. Uh, making political statements as a CEO, however, uh, I don't know that it's in everyone's best interest. Putting policies in play, doing things that are appropriate for staff and ultimately the community is what I care about. Not making statements that eventually, because uh, Black, My- Black Lives Matter, I put a statement out because I thought it was important too. Um, uh, it got a, lot of, uh, com- uh, got a lot of social media, good news and not so good news. It's, it's not a place I think that we want to find this company. I,
1: I, I agree with Bill. I think the, I lump it, I put it together with ESG. You know, consumers, particularly younger consumers, want companies to stand for something, and they want them to do it authentically. And I think that authenticity is what's really important. So figuring out what you can do for your employees, for your communities, and to reduce your impact on the planet that you can really do. That's what it's about, and it's it's not about marketing. It's not performative. It's doing, and so um, I agree. I don't think it's about uh, about wading into politics. I think it's about having an impact.
4: Well said. I can't add a thing to that. Well said. I think it's uh, it is about policies, but I think I'm not sure for public company CEOs that's a role I would take on. My political views shouldn't matter. Uh, they're not important, uh, in my opinion. They're important to me, my family, but not to my shareholders and. I think it's better we address. I think Bill and Craig's comments about your employees, now you think about them, uh, they're our constituents. We want to make sure we're responsive to them and our customers. But I, My political views, I think, are not relevant in, a, in public forum.
0: Is there a canary in the coal mine about recession coming? Uh, Jim Murn had mentioned to me that he said, I totally missed the onslaught of the great financial recession of 2007, 2008, 2009. Because in our last quarter, fourth quarter of 2007, we had our best quarter ever, lifted by the luxury <laughs> properties like good Bellagio. Day. Those were
4: good days. good days. <laughs> they were good you days. Remember those days. Yeah, he said, easy.
0: I should have been looking at Circus Circus. We've already heard some of your competitors talk about that lower demographic.
3: We have a pretty, obviously, broad view on this because yeah. we have properties all over the country. And obviously, we have every marketplace here in Las Vegas as well. Um, we have not seen it. Uh, particularly here in Las Vegas. Uh, Now, what's happened over the last 18 months has literally been historic, and so records, but if you look about uh, how we thought we'd be performing against how we are performing, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we're exactly where we thought we would be. We're not naive to think that consistent gas prices, consistent uh, increase in inflation is not gonna impact our business. It hasn't yet. I would agree agree
1: with Bill. We're in a similar situation now. How much of that is our customer type? I, I don't know. But I do think that the industry, particularly here in Las Vegas, is better prepared, strangely because of, because of COVID, frankly, to know the levers that, uh, that we need to pull to make it, through, uh, make it through whatever does happen.
0: I wonder what keeps you up at night. I'm curious about it, generally, when you look at your whole company, if there's a thing that you see as a niggling challenge that you haven't quite figured out.
1: I really have two things to do in my job. Take the legacy, we talked about it earlier, mm-hmm. take the legacy that I've been handed and make sure that I both maintain it and evolve it and grow the business. And grow the business, for us, often means development. So when I get up in the middle of the night, it's thinking about, thinking about those two things, which aren't uh, you know, existential threats to, to our business, rather they're the opportunities for our business. So there is no one particular, one particular point that I would, I would think about. So
0: you sleep like a baby?
1: Definitely not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> definitely not but it's not uh, it's not an existential threat that, that keeps me up at night
3: you know if you'd asked me that question two years ago it'd um, be a different answer completely different we're just in such a different place as a company Our ba- you know, it would have been our balance sheet just how we were capitalized what we were doing how we we're thinking about going forward um, we've just done such an amazing reversal in so many respects got fortunate in timing and made some smart moves I think ultimately and we're sitting on 4.5 billion in cash and so We're all operatives, we've been doing this a long time. The day-to-day is not the concern. It's the things that are outside our control. So, well, I don't have the same pressure they do in Macau. We still have Macau pressure. That's not in our control. Uh, Water at Lake Mead, we're gonna do everything we can. That's a longer term, you know, just the general environment, what's gonna happen uh, over time. That's, you you wake up at night and think not only about, you you know, yourself and the company, but your employees and the community. Those are are real issues. continuing social divide of politics and what it's doing to our employees and customers. and uh, Not a great place. It's just we're not in a great place in America in that context. I do sleep like a baby every two hours.
4: Um, <laughs> yeah. in our company, we, we've gone through the most dramatic uh, couple of years. That, uh, it's hard to even fathom. We lost Sheldon. We lost our business in Macau temporarily. We went through closure in in, uh, in Singapore and, and, of course, we sold Las Vegas. But, Looking back on it, we're in a great place liquidity-wise. We've got lots of money in the bank, we're very solid. Um, The business climate in Singapore is coming back beautifully in the whole city-state. Our license renewals recently were on the right path in Macau, which was a big impediment to the future, and that's been resolved, it looks like to me. And so the one thing we can't do much about is waiting for the COVID resolution in China which is inevitable and when that happens I think our company returns to a very nice place and hopefully it's sooner than later but other than that I don't think about the, 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 the bigger issues Bill referenced I mean it's painful to watch this country I'm the oldest guy in the room probably here and I think it's for me it's hurtful and painful to watch this country going through such a huge divide on so many issues and, and it's sad and I'm hoping we can figure a way out we'll get, we'll get through it we'll figure it out but uh, that doesn't keep me up at night because I'm not I can't solve it but it sure does make me feel sad.
0: The, the thing about gaming is that um, figuring it out has been sort of the MO yeah. of the industry, of the town, of the leaders. Do you think that there's a takeaway for other industries and other leaders about the adaptability and the flexibility and the innovation of gaming?
4: Yeah, there's, there's a definite lesson in terms of the same lessons any manager has to do. We're professional managers. How do you apply uh, into evolving environments that change all the time? It's never easy. How do you manage your employee base? How do you manage your customer base? How do you think and stay nimble and stay, and stay focused? Life is full of challenges. The only constant is change, right? right? And these things change every day. Managing these behemoths, these monster buildings, is a really a, a good lesson for any manager. And I think it does translate beyond our industry.
3: No well, and one of the reasons it could and should is, and you know, we're the melting pot of America. We get 40 million visitors. We get everybody that comes here. We know a lot about customer behavior today. And I think we're adept at reacting to that, and I think there's a lot to be learned from that for for others. They're very complex businesses. They're interesting as hell. I, I, we've been all doing this for a long time because we love it. Yeah, it hasn't killed us yet, but it's, it's trying. Right. <laughs> it will, Bill. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Speak, you know, I can't no get out of life. Gaming as a whole, obviously, but you know, part of
1: what we do is we we really steadfastly do not over-corporatize. We have a very small corporate staff. We push a lot of decisions down to the, to, to the asset and to the property level, to the individual line level. and, that, and Now, to be fair, we're blessed with a, quite a small geographic portfolio. Okay, we essentially have four assets, so I think that's easier for us to do than some others in the industry. But you talk about evolution and you <clears> talk <throat> about change, you have to cascade that down throughout the entire business. And the more your people understand and own their respective pieces of the business, the easier that is to do. the more you centralize it, the harder that is to do. So it's, it's been in ways heartening and inspiring to go through, uh, to go through COVID and to mm-hmm. watch what our teams were able to do and what they
3: were able to accomplish. And it really was them. Well, we have a, a mantra I've been on for about 18 months, culture of yes, given scale, Things happen, and it's easy to wake up one day and have policies in play. that Why aren't we doing it? Why are we saying no to a customer? Well, because 15 years ago this happened. And you just wake up one day mm-hmm. and you just have this monstrosity of a bureaucratic thing. Culture of yes, down to the line level in place. Please say yes to a customer. We'll protect you, we'll give you the security you think you need and want around that decision, and ultimately we'll make it right for both the customer and you. Um, big deal in these scale places, because if you don't, it just, it, you know, you, you got. Uh, 4000 rooms you got 8000 customers, you got 25000 people in the building every day bumping into people all the time and giving and empowering employees to make those decisions is it's essential no doubt essential no doubt
2: that was Wynn Resort's CEO Craig Billings Sands chairman and CEO Robert Goldstein and MGM Resorts International CEO Bill Hornbuckle they spoke to Contessa Brewer at CNBC's Evolve Global Summit on July 13th 2022 The keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share with your friends. You can visit CNBCEvents.com to learn about upcoming events and how you can attend. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.